yesterday was one of my favorite Saturdays. I mean, don't we all love Saturdays? But yesterday, opening day parade, Maitland Little League. Good stuff. My kids are no longer there. They've gotten too old. But they invite me back to do an invocation and a little charge to our community. I love it. It's my opportunity to remind uh, the community that what they have is a gift. Don't you blow it and uh, behave and uh, pray for them. So what, what a blessing it is. And you know who they had speak after me? You don't have to yell it out if you know it. It's my time, not yours. You can yell it out louder. Yes, it was. Mr. October, number 44, Reggie Jackson. So Reggie and I were on the field together, and as he began to speak, he mentioned me by name. I said, Pastor Jack, I was like, man, maybe it's because together we combined for 586 major league home runs. Of course, Reggie hit 586. Uh, but anyway, listen, we, we gather here not because someone famous like Reggie can know our name. We gather here because the most famous one. The God, the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together knows your name. He knows your story. He knows your stuff. Now, hold on. And he loves us. Now, there's good news. I mean, it was, it was cool being on Maitland Lake Field and having Reggie Jackson know my name. But, but the God of the universe, to know and love us, is there anything better that's why we gather. That's why we gather to worship him and sing his praises. Well, as we begin today, I have a question for you. What kind of person are you? Are, are you one of those people that, that uh, love to plan trips, or are you a person who just loves to take them, saying, forget it, I just love the adventure? Are, are you like somebody who just wants to jump in a car or maybe even jump in a plane and just take off and just see whatever you find? Or do you like to plan ahead? If someone says, okay, we're going on a trip. I want to make sure I have the right vehicle to get there. I want to make sure I've mapped out the de- destination. I want to make sure that I don't miss anything along the way. So, so I got to map it all out. Where, where are you? Are you someone who uh, plans that whole thing? Or are you someone who just lets experience happen? Well, today we begin a journey through the book of Genesis. The very first book of the Bible. And we're going to have a little, actually, a leg of the journey. We're going to start with the first 11 chapters is what we're going to look at in the next coming weeks. And we need to do a little planning for our trip. We really do. is because we journey back to something so ancient, we have to make, ask a few questions. And I know you're asking them, so let's get them out in the foreground, all right? As we begin a journey through a book like Genesis, the things we might want to ask is, do we really want to go there? I mean, really, is it really important for us to to go there? And and maybe we we even want to ask the question, do we have the right vehicle to get there? A question that we've got to ask right away is why? Why? Why should we go? Uh, Why should we even bother? Is it really important to us? Is it it really necessary? Come, Come on, truthfully, is it really helpful? I mean, I know your life. Your life's like mine. I know the complexity of your life. I mean, we're living here in the 21st century. I mean, I mean, things happen at light speed. I mean, all the things that we're wrestling with, the problems in our own homes, the problems in our own flesh, uh, is it really helpful? Why, why should we go here? We'll answer the question of why. We're also going to address something this morning of how. 
How? How do you travel the ancient roads of the Bible? Uh, How do we journey into something that was written so long ago for some people who lived a long, long time ago? And how do we do it without these two things happening? I know you're thinking about them. How do we do it and not get lost? Not get lost in the world of seemingly way beyond and not get lost somehow. Or maybe we want to ask the question, how do we journey through a book like Genesis and, and not get bored? And really, is it, is it really applicable? Is it really relevant? How do we do it without getting bored? Uh, and how do we do it in a way that keeps relevant to our lives? I got to tell you, there's good news. It's, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. It's living and active. And, and uh, he is going to answer the question for us, I believe, and I'm prayerful of, of why. And I think he's even going to show us a how and some really, really good news. Journey in. I mean, put your seatbelt on. Get ready to go because it is for you. And it is for us. And it is for today. It is for your life. But you also have this, some disclaimers. Uh, there are some disclaimers we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the why. We're going to talk about the how to read God's word. But we're going to look at some disclaimers the fine print of the Bible, to make sure that we're not asking the Bible to do something that it was never intended to do. We're going to look at some disclaimers, the fine print, and make sure that we got a good understanding of what it is. Have anybody been on a cruise? Have you read the disclaimers on a cruise? (laughs) You're about ready to go on a journey, and they're about ready to say, now listen, everything imaginable can happen to you. You might have parts fall off. You may have diseases we can't identify. You might die. Give us your money. Have a great time. Bon voyage. So everybody has disclaimers. Um, and we got the Bible as well. We got to look at what are the disclaimers we need to know before we uh, start on this journey. Then lastly, time permitting, we're going to look at some examples. Some examples that once we answer the question of why do we do things like study the book of Genesis? And we answer the question of how do we make sense of an ancient text? And we look at the disclaimers and make sure that we know what we're trying to do. Then there's some examples, I'll tell you, I'm so excited, that make this thing come alive. That make this in a way that our hearts can be set on fire. And we can be sitting here in awe saying, God, I had no idea how beautiful the story is. I want to start by telling you this. By God's grace, he's made me a lover of his word. I've had the privilege of studying it in the original languages. Uh, I've had the privilege of reading it from cover to cover. I'm doing it again now. And it absolutely blows me away of the beauty, the literary beauty alone. It blows me away of the, the unity of the story. It's, it, it's incredible. It has come alive and, and it makes my heart on fire. And there's certainly times I walk away and say, oh, what was that all about? And there's certainly times that I don't really fully get what it's saying. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit, just teach me, teach me. But wherever you are today, whether the Bible is something amazingly new to you and something foreign, and maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you, the Bible is is a little bit of a, a, a tool that might bring fear. Maybe in your history, someone used the Bible to whack you over the head really hard and to try to tell you you're a loser. Maybe someone took the Bible and tried to, tried to preach to you in a way that just brought guilt and, and remorse. That's not the Bible of God's word. It's, a, it's an amazing tool that God wants to tell his love story. Listen, to give you life, to whisper in your ear how beloved you are in Christ. I mean, God's, God's word is a story to, to set us free. 
every single part of it. So we'll look at a couple examples. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, let's look at God's word. If you have your Bibles, it's going to feel a little bit like growing up or doing a little Bible challenge. We're going to be all over the place. Um, if you want to, the scripture is in the bulletin for you. You can follow along there. It'll also be on the screen for us as well. So let's look to God's word. We're going to start right from the beginning. Genesis 1, 1. As God showers down his blessings upon us. It's a cool sound, isn't it? Get comfy. It's comfy, cozy. We could be here a while. <laughs> it's raining out. There's nowhere to go. This is awesome. All right. There you go. Amen. Man, have I been waiting for that. One person yells, preach on. Everybody else says, shut up. <laughs> uh, let's listen to God's word. No matter if we find ourselves in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's all God's word. It never lead us astray. Let's hear this one that will um, bless us richly. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now turn me to the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. I got to set this up a little bit. Let me tell you what was happening. This part of Luke 24 is actually going to be a resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive Jesus has appeared to, to, to uh, the disciples and to others, and he's going to appear again. And it's such good news, but there's two guys that are walking uh, on the road from, from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. Uh, Clopas is one of their names. Uh, they give us one of the names. And these two guys are, are walking, and they're doing about the seven-mile journey, and they're discussing the events that just happened around Jesus' death and, and resurrection. And they didn't really know a whole lot about the resurrection yet. They just heard about it. And what they knew about Jesus was this. They're like, man, this guy's got power. And, and this Jesus, he's got such authority. And, and he's doing such amazing things that they were putting their hope and trust that Jesus was the promised Messiah. They were putting their hope and trust. They were building their life story around Jesus' story. And something happened is all of a sudden they see him hanging on a tree, crucified by the religious leaders, and they're sunk you know those parts in your life where your just story just completely changes? You know that phone call? You know that event? You know that thing that just, everything's different? Well, that's happened to these guys. And everything's different. And what they thought about, what they thought about Jesus wasn't what they expected. And so now all of a sudden they're walking and guess what? Jesus appears with them. I mean, Jesus appears amazing. The resurrected Lord, they couldn't quite recognize him at first. And so that's what happens when we pick up verse 27 um, in chapter 24. Jesus is talking, he says, and beginning with Moses, and then Moses is the one who wrote Genesis. And so at the very beginning, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them uh, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow. So they knew, drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? Let's go to verse 44. 
Now Jesus is with his disciples. And he says to them, and then he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, beginning with Genesis, and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then, and only he can do it, opened their minds to understand the scripture. And he said to them, this is, this, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Let's look to Romans now. Romans 1 verse 15, 14. 15, 4, excuse me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. And lastly, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. All of it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Father God, it took your Son and Holy Spirit and your love to open up the minds of even your disciples to understand your story. Jesus, you journeyed with those guys for three years. They hung out with you. They witnessed the miracles. They saw Lazarus come to life. They saw the multitudes fed. They watched you walk on water. And yet, only you and your spirit could open their minds to understand your word. That's humbling. I stand before you a broken sinner, knowing that I do not have the ability to open up scriptures. Only you do. But you promise and tell us that your word will never come back void. And you tell us that all of scripture is for us and you love us. So we ask that the spirit of living God would come and be with us, be teacher. God, the things that I say that are true and contain the good news of Jesus Christ, use those things to make us more like the hero of the story, Jesus, the hero of history. The things that I say that are my opinion or wrong, may those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. Holy Spirit, come. Give us ears to hear. God, give us energy. Give us strength to lean in. Because this is going to be a deep sermon about a deep God that we need to hear about. For your glory and our health, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first question we got to answer is this, why? <laughs> I mean, why? Why should we journey together through an ancient book like Genesis? Or even more so, why should we look at the Bible and its totality for Genesis to Revelation? Here's the answer. If you want to follow along with the bulletin, there's an outline for you. I think there's going to be a lot of things you might want to jot down and, and refer to uh, uh, this week. But why? Here's, here's the beginning of the answer. If we don't know what God is doing in the world... If we don't know what God is doing in the world, we don't know what in the world to do, right? If we don't know what God is doing in the world, we don't know what in the world to do because we're made in God's image. 
I mean, we were stamped with who he is and, and who he always will be. We were created for him to know and to love him and to tell his story. So, so we must know what God is doing in the world for us to have a clue to know what to do in this world. So you answer the question of why, that's the beginning. But it's this. You see, the Bible is an amazing story. It's God's story. God is going to be the ultimate storyteller. He's going to be the ultimate hero of this story. But here's what's happening in this book from Genesis to Revelation. God is telling, follow me, his story. God is telling history. God is telling his story, his story, how he loves the world, how he rescues the world, and how he's making all things new. And God is, says we are to be a part of that story. We're actually to be storytellers. And so we need to understand where we fit in the story, where we fit in his story or history. Why? You may want to say, well, wait a minute, Jeff. Okay, I kind of get it. It's his story. Okay. But don't we just need to start at the New Testament? I mean, aren't we Christians? Isn't there a fact that the name of Christ is a part of who we are and our calling? Why in the world do we need to go back to Act 1? Why do we need to start at the beginning? Wasn't the beginning act kind of confusing? Wasn't there a lot of things going on there that you make you want to scratch your head and say, what was that all about? Didn't the curtain close on Act 1 and we all said, whoo, that was freaky. Thank God for Jesus. Don't you love what Jesus did? Did you see what happened in Luke 24? It's amazing. Jesus appears uh, on that road to Emmaus with two, two guys trying to figure out the Bible story. And you know what Jesus could have done? He could have said, hey, fellas, all that stuff, all that slaughtering of animals and all that wandering and all that desert stuff and that manna stuff and that mountain stuff and all that stuff. You know what? That's not really that important. I'm the only one that's important, which is true. But he basically says this, if you want to understand who I am as a living, crucified Savior, we've got to start from the beginning. If you want to understand who I am as God's only eternal Son, we need to start at the beginning of this story because the whole story points to me. The whole story is about me. There's not a promise given in the Old Testament that didn't ultimately point to me. There's not, there's not something that God said he would do that isn't ultimately fulfilled in me. There's even more. Holy God who makes holy promises to bless those who bless him. Jesus says, I'll secure those blessings for you, but there's more. Holy God who has to maintain his holiness and his wrath against sin and the curse that comes when we are disobedient. He's holy God. Jesus says, I'll become the curse. I'll absorb the wrath, all the promises, all the curses, all the hope, all the judgment. The story is all about me. So we see in our outline, the entire story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. We see in the Bible, the entire Bible is God is the author. He is the storyteller. He is the hero. He's the hope. And it's a God who acts for his own glory. He acts in a way that fills the earth with his, his love and his reality. And it's the best news we could ever hear. 
So why do we need the whole thing? If Jesus starts by saying, we gotta begin at the beginning because you gotta get this about me and you gotta get this about the story, we gotta get there. The entire story is about him. Here's the second part. It's really, really cool. Did you hear what it said in, in Romans 15, 4 and 2 Timothy 3? It says this. The entire story of the Bible is for us. God wrote the things uh, through uh, those men's pens for us, for you sitting right here, right now. The reality of your life, the brokenness of your life, the hopes of your life. Scripture says in Romans 15, 4, that it was written, these stories were written to give us hope. Man, there's a God who is and he's working and he's good and he's loving and then we get to 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says, listen, all of it, all of Scripture, what is it? It's useful. All of Scripture is for us to teach us, to, to rebuke us, to train us, to lead us to righteousness. It's basically saying this. Everything about this is for your life, to live your life in the story in a way that you experience God's love, reflect his reality, and are a storyteller too. So here's what Scripture's telling us. It's all about him, but it's all for us, every part of it. Isn't that amazing? We're here, we're, we're what we call, uh, uh, in this church, we're, we believe in Reformed theology, uh, which stresses the sovereignty of God, and um, it's beautiful, and I, I love being what's called Reformed. For some of you, that may be a new term, but we, we adhere to a, a confession of faith called the Westminster Confession of Faith, that we believe that it's the most clear teaching of Scripture, and it asks the question in the catechisms, what does the Bible primarily teach? What is the Bible all about? It says this, that the Bible primarily teaches what God requires of us, uh, who God is and what he requires of us, uh, how we can believe in him and what he requires of us. Listen, this is such good news. What does God require of us? I I say this to you because this is who your pastor is. What God requires for us is perfection. What God requires from us is obedience. What God requires of us is sinless life. How you doing? The beauty of the scriptures in this story is what God requires, God provides. Did you hear me? What God requires, God provides. And the requirement that he provided for us to be in relationship with him, he provided through the work of his son. And the death that we should die because of rebellion from him, he provided in the death of his son. And what God requires from us, God provides to us in the reality of the only begotten son. And now we read this amazingly beautiful story and realize that it's all about him and the way he's showering his love on us in the Christ and filling this whole earth with his glory. That's the why. That's the why. How? How do you, how do you understand the Bible? To understand the Bible, we must understand three things about the story. Lean in. This is, this is good. This is deep. I know. This is, this is not your average sermon. This has got a little grit to it, so hang in there. How? How do you understand the Bible? We must understand three things about the story. We must understand the story, okay? When you read it, you're reading about uh, something that Moses is telling us about. He's telling us about an exodus from e- Egypt. You're, you're trying to read the story, right? But there's something more. Hang with me. Second part is you've got to understand the bigger story. What's the bigger story? Well, when we start reading the Bible and we start realizing that it was written to a particular audience for a particular reason, when you realize, when you put yourself in the place of the original hearing audience, 
Why was the writer writing about this to address this issue? That's the bigger story. You see, there's a bigger story about the book of Genesis. Moses was writing it to people in the desert. He had a point in writing it. And we can kind of understand the story a little bit more if we get the bigger story. So don't just read the what of the story. Read the who's reading it. That's the bigger story. Then here's the ultimate thing. The third part is the ultimate story. The ultimate story we just read. Scripture says it's all about Jesus. The ultimate story is how does the life, death, and resurrection fulfill all of it? How does the death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus make it all hold together, make sense, and glorify God? The ultimate story of what God is doing. And the ultimate story from creation and fall to rescue and redemption and new creation. Okay, so here, let's keep going. To understand a story, you must understand who wrote it. Uh, who, who wrote it? We must understand to whom were they writing it. And we might ask the question, why did they write it? And is there anything in history that would change the meaning of the story? I got an example for you. I want you to look up on the screen. Okay, let's say we came across this. We found this. Uh, uh, laying down when you came in here, you picked up this note. And it said this, Dear Sam, you were a champion tonight, last night. You were a champion last night. I really enjoyed our time together. I look forward, uh, forward to seeing you again at the WTC. David, what does that mean? I bet you you're already starting to think, okay, what, 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 what does that mean? Let me give you a couple of options. Let's assume that Sam and David were business partners. And let's assume that the WTC was the World Trade Center. Okay, so you got, you got Sam and David, business partners, and you say, okay, you were a champion last night in business. I really enjoyed our time together. I look forward to seeing you again at the World Trade Center. Okay, you got those kind of, that's kind of interesting. But you want to say, well, what events historically have changed that? I mean, living on this side of 9-11, you could find that saying, huh, look at the history that's gone to change this. And you start to know a little bit more what this means. What if Sam and David were tennis partners? What if they were tennis partners and WTC is the Wimbledon tennis courts? Okay, dear Sam, you were a champion last night. Really enjoyed our time together. I look forward to seeing you again at the Wimbledon uh, tennis courts. Has a whole different meaning, does it not? What if Sam and David were marriage partners? What if Sam was short for Samantha? And what if WTC is the Windy Trail condos? (laughs) Dear Sam, you were a champion last night. Really enjoyed our time together. I look forward to seeing you again at the Windy Trail condos. Hold it for meaning, right? We look at the book of Genesis. We're going to start. We've got to ask the question, who wrote it? Well, conservative scholarship would say that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is a, a word that describes the first five books of the Bible, the, the law of Moses, uh, Genesis to De- Deuteronomy. We see that Moses was the primary writer of that. I believe that to be true. There had to be at least another editor because it talks about Moses dying. That's a talented dude who could write what he wrote, but someone who could write after he died, you know. So it had an editor. And also the book of Numbers, Moses says, it says about Moses, he's the most humble man who ever lived. Can you write that about yourself and be the most humble man that ever lived? (laughs) Who wrote it? Moses wrote it. But we looked at scripture already, my brothers and sisters. We looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It said, all scripture is what? God breathed. 
So we really believe that, that God used the talents and the abilities, uh, um, the circumstances and the history of a guy named Moses. And Moses wrote that, but God breathed his very being into him that he was writing the words of God. Not mechanically, like grabbing his hand and making him do it, but just breathing his being upon him. And God's word was written. So who wrote it? Moses. Who wrote it? God. To whom did he write it? I mean, Moses was writing to the Israelites. We believe that he was writing to the Israelites who were roaming from the, in the desert from Egypt to the promised land. That's who he's writing it to. I'm telling you what, that's the bigger story. If you start leaning into that bigger story, this thing's going to come alive. If you start understanding who he was writing it to, it's really, really important. But what does Scripture tell us in, in Romans 15, 4? That he was writing it for us. That God, because God is sovereign and God is able to preserve it, he, he's Moses. I mean, writing it for us, it's amazing. So who wrote it? To whom did he write it? Why did he write it? One of my uh, seminary professors, Richard Pratt, when he talked about uh, the book of Genesis, I think he nailed it when he said that he wrote, Moses wrote to the Israelites because this, it was God's design for Israel to leave Egypt and possess the promised land. Here's what he's saying. The reason Moses is writing to these guys carrying their, their tabernacle through the desert, eating some really strange stuff called manna, finding water from rocks, trying to go to a promised land that, that someone told them about, that God had promised them about, that, that the reason that Moses was writing was to tell them, listen, it's God's plan for you. He wants you out of Egypt. He wants you in the promised land. That's why he wrote it. Okay, but let's go back to the Gospel of Luke. And Luke tells us that all was Scripture was written to give us hope, to set our hearts on fire. It was written to instruct us. Scripture says that all of God's Word is profitable for teaching, reproof, reproof and correction, and training in righteousness. It's for us. So there's this amazing duality that's going on that only God did too. Who wrote it? Moses, but God. Uh, who did he write it for? The Israelites going to the promised land, but for us. Uh, wh why did they write it? And then ultimately for the glory of God. But we have to ask this question. What historical event changed or altered or brought to light new meaning in the story? We can't read an Old Testament story and not see Jesus. We can't. We can't let the greatest event that ever happened in history, the miraculous birth the incredible sinless life, the atoning death, and the resurrection of Christ changes everything. God's Son changes everything. Everything changes. Everything that God promised was fulfilled in him. Everything pulls together in him. I mean, it's Jesus. I mean, uh, the Pentateuch talks about a prophet that would come that's even greater than Moses. One who would speak as very God. And guess who that prophet is? It's Jesus. As we read, begin, read the beginning of the story, we hear about a high priest named Aaron who would stand between holy God and the people and make sacrifice for him. But we realize through scripture that there's a greater priest than Aaron in the line of Melchizedek. Who this priest would stand before God and man because he is God and man. And this amazing priest not only offers a sacrifice, but he is the sacrifice. And this priest now lives forever to intercede for us. The story's about Jesus. He changes everything as a prophet, everything as a priest, everything as a king. The story talks about the greatest king in the Old Testament. It's a guy named David. What an amazing warrior. He fights giants with stones. 
He's, a, he's, a, he's an amazing musician. He's darn good looking. He's a warrior. He's a leader. But you know what? He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. And there's got to be a king who comes who's better. And his name's Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who will reign forever. You see, he changes everything. The prophet Isaiah said there was going to be a servant that will come and he's going to suffer and this servant that was going to come was going to suffer. And on him, we're going to put, God's going to put our sins. And he's going to be pierced for our transgressions. He's going to be broken because of our sins. And somehow through his brokenness, we're all going to be healed. It's Jesus, the suffering servant to come. It's Jesus who's the true son of God. When God describes Israel, he goes, Israel, my son. But really, it was just a foreshadowing of what his true son would be, the only begotten son, the eternal son, the God in flesh. His son is beloved. It's just a foreshadow pointing to him. You see, Jesus changes everything. It's Jesus who's, we follow the storyline of the Bible. We'll get a little bit more into this. We realize that in the Bible early on, there's a promise of a seed that will come, that will destroy death, that will destroy Satan, that will open up heaven. It was promised in the earliest chapters of scripture. And we can see that seed run all the way through scripture, the hope to come, the hope that God hasn't forgotten us, the hope that heaven one day will be opened up. And guess who the seed is? It's Jesus. It's the woman who was born, the virgin who was born in the fullness of time. And that seed is Jesus. He changes everything. So we gotta look through the lens of history and the lens of scripture and answer how do we read this thing? We read it that way. All right, a couple disclaimers. What do you watch for your news? What news do you watch? You got a favorite, where do you watch it? Are you a Fox News because it's fair and balanced? Are you a CNN because it's the world leader in news? Or are you local 13? All local, all the time, weather's on the ones. Now, who's giving us history here? Who's telling us the story? Is Fox telling us a story? Is CNN telling us a story? Or is uh, Channel 13, all local, all the time, weather on the ones telling us a story? The answer is yes. I mean, everybody who tells us history has to decide what they're going to tell us about history and how they're going to tell us. They're going to decide how they prioritize history. I mean, no one can tell us all about history. Anybody who starts to say this is today's history, guess what? They've edited it. Guess what? They've decided what's most important and what to tell you. The Bible is like watching Channel 13. All local, all the time, from God's perspective, but it has an impact on the whole world. So when we look at the Bible, it's telling us true history. It's telling us God's history, but it's certainly slanted. It's slanted to God. It is true, I believe every word of it. It will never lead us astray. But God doesn't tell us everything about history. He doesn't tell us every single story. He tells us a story with a point. No one We see that it's all been written for us. It's amazing that it has different authors, different time periods, but it tells one story. The point is this. Are you picking Fox because it's fair and balanced? Please. I'm not ripping on Fox. I'm just saying they got their, their platform. The Bible is going to tell us things from God's view. Trust it. He will tell us what he wants us to know about history. That we can trust it. But remember, all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is useful. Okay, let's, that's history. 
Bible and history. Let me talk about Bible, disclaimer number two. Bible and science. God did not have Moses write this book to refute Darwin. God did not write this book to make sure that we all believe in a literal 24-hour day of creation. God had a bigger purpose. I believe that he, he, what is, he says is true, but amazingly, the people who wrote this Bible had a limited view of science in their own day. And they wrote with as much ability of science as they had. But God was not, he did not change who they were. And nor did he alter his truth. And when we try to use the Bible as a science book or as a textbook or as something outside of what God has desired and designed it to use, it, it doesn't work. He, he didn't do it. He, he didn't need this to beat up Darwin. <laughs> his truth is amazing truth. And so where we get in trouble sometimes with the disclaimers, we're trying to get God's word to do something that God's word's not trying to do. So we have to be mindful of what it was really written for. It's a God who created all things. It's a God who sustains all things. A God who's only limited by himself. Did you hear that? God is only limited by himself. What do we mean by that, Jeff? Nothing can constrain him except for his own holiness, except for his own being. God can't stop being good. The only thing that restrains God is God but it all applies to him. And last disclaimer is, this is one story, my friends. This is an amazing story. It's one story from start to finish. It hangs together what we call covenants, God's promises to us and kingdom. But they're really, it's, it's not like different times, God operating in different ways. It's an amazingly beautiful one story. And everything that's promised in Genesis 1 is fulfilled in Revelation 21. Go figure. And the whole mess that we get in from Genesis 3 is, is, is resolved in Genesis 20. It's a story of God who creates, a man who rebels and falls, a God who restores in Christ Jesus in a new heaven and new earth. It's one beautiful story. All right. Deep breath. Almost done. I want to show you an example of how this works. Let's put what we just learned into use. I'm telling you, it should set your heart on fire. If you know him, you love him. It's pretty amazing. Let's look at Genesis 12, okay? Turn to Genesis 12. We're not going to be here long. Just a few minutes, I promise. Uh, Genesis 12 is an amazing case story. Let me tell you what's happening in Genesis 12. God is calling a man named Abram, and his name will eventually become Abraham. And God says to Abram, he says this. He goes, Abram, I want you to leave your land, your mom, your dad, everything you know, and I'm going to go give you a promised land, uh, a land with milk and honey. It's going to be this awesome place. Abram, follow me, trust me more than anything. And here's what I'm going to do to you, Abram. You ready for this? Abram, I'm going to bless you. And this is always God's design, by the way. I'm going to bless an individual or a nation or a person. Why? So you could be a blessing to all nations. I'm going to bless you. And so all nations are blessed through you for me. All right? And listen, here's what's the deal with you. I love you so much, Abram. I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to bless your seed after you. And your seed is going to be a blessing to all nations. So Abraham by God's grace, it believes in God. It's credit to him as righteous. And he does it, what he's asked to do. He leaves home. He goes to the promised land. And guess what happens in Genesis 12 when he's in the promised land? The darndest thing happened. The darndest thing happened. A famine happened. A famine happened, and they didn't have any food. So guess where they had to go? They had to go to the darndest place. They had to go to Egypt. And they got to leave the promised land to go to Egypt. And, and when they go there, Abraham didn't really act very godlike. He basically gives away his wife to try to protect his own life, but God spares her, and God brings plagues 
to Egypt so that Abraham will be driven out and they give him all of their stuff as he's leaving. Did you see what just happened, folks? Who's reading this original? Who's reading this? The Israelites. The Israelites, where are they heading? The promised land. Where have they been? Egypt. How'd they get there? Famine. What happened to get them out? Plagues. And they're carrying all their neighbor's junk on their backs. And we just plundered them. And here, here's, here's what's happened. It's amazingly beautiful. And God is saying this. You're going home, Israel. You're going home. This land, the giants that you're going to go fight, it's yours. I promised it a long time ago. And as you go home, you go with my blessing and you go with my presence and you go with my reality. Don't be afraid. Isn't that cool? He says this, and then listen, I I, want to bless your seed. I'm going to bless your seed so much, it's going to be a blessing to all nations. And you follow that seed through scripture and guess where it ends up. Guess where the promised seed ends up, who will become a blessing to all nations, who will be the light of the world, who is the savior of the world. What is the promised seed that's to come? Go ahead and say it. Jesus, ever ask that question, shout it out, it's good. What is it? Jesus, it's amazing. You read Genesis 12. And you realize what God is doing in the big story and the ultimate story. I pray to God that your heart and my heart will be like those that were on the road to Emmaus on fire. And say, oh my, there's something a lot bigger here than I ever dreamed. One more personal disclaimer. Is YouTube not amazing? I mean, YouTube, we are a YouTube culture. You know what? YouTube allows us to, to watch anything we want, anytime we want, and just the amount we want. It's amazing. If, if I want to go right now and go home and see Mike Aruzioni score the winning slap shot in the 1980 Olympics against the Russians, I can go see it on YouTube. It's right there. And maybe even here, do you believe in miracles? Whatever event that it was recorded, we're able to go see and edit. You know, I, I think we're a people who want a YouTube Bible. I think we're a people who want a YouTube Bible who just kind of want to watch the parts we want to watch. And the time we want to watch it. And control that. Do you ever crave a Big Mac? Do you ever just want a Big Mac? What's wrong with you? Big Macs aren't good for you. I was out of town the other week and uh, we had some exercise and I was, I, all I wanted is a Big Mac or two or three. <laughs> it's just, what do you want for dinner? A Big Mac. I know it's not good for me. I want to eat a Big Mac. I think that we're a church and a society that wants Big Macs when it comes to God's word. We want a happy meal with a toy. And God is saying, I got a banquet for you. I got a feast for you. I mean, I, I, I want to lay out the beauty of my story and my plan. And I want to tell you how amazing it is. And we, I want you to sit down. I want you to get the fine china out. I want you to, I want you to get the linen out. I want you to put it in your lap. Listen, I, I want you to, each course, I want you to savor. I want you to sip on good wine. I, I want you to just have this delicacy of God's word. I want you to enjoy it. And our YouTube 
Big Mac, Happy Meal, and a toy society. As your pastor, that's my challenge. Because I'm not sure that we're a people who long for the feast. I think we're a people that long for the Big Mac and the toy. We're going to journey together through Genesis. And it's going to be some deep water sometime. And it might require a little bit of our gray matter to be exercised. But let us come and feast with the king. Let us pray. Father, who am I to tell such a grand story? Yet that's all of our calling, God. You have made us storytellers to be a part of the most awesome story ever told, the story of the true story of who you are and what your son has done. Holy Spirit, come. Come to this church and give us a hunger for a feast. God, we long for happy meals and toys and a YouTube Bible when you've given us so much more. Holy Spirit, point us to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you started from the beginning to show us your glory, your Father's glory, the Spirit's glory. As we journey there, come journey with us. Point to you all along the way and teach us every step. Thank you for the feast before us. May we sit and enjoy the fellowship of the King. God, bless these tithes and offerings. Use them for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.